Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Welcome to Off the Bench. Casey Kiernan in, filling in yeah. Danny Cannell. I'm here with Raja Bell as usual. Thank goodness for Derrick Henry. Because he turned a Thursday night football game between the Jaguars and the Titans into something that was really fun, especially that 99-yard touchdown run. Uh, the only other guy to have a run that long was Tony Dorsett back in 1983 for the Dallas Cowboys. Overall, 17 carries, 238 yards, four TDs. What a game for Henry and the Titans. Yeah, I mean, he looked, dude, he had a game. He looked like the best running back of all time I know. last night. I mean, I think that says more – about the Jags defense and how uninspired they're playing now, which is a whole nother story. But um as it pertains to the Titans, you know, you're sitting there at seven and six. You got the Giants, the Redskins, and the Colts. Um you're sitting in a and you kind of control your own destiny now to some degree. Like if you yeah. can get these wins, I think you probably you're getting in. Um and I think that's the recipe for them. I know Derrick Henry has been inconsistent, but you've got a good defense. Um, the jury's out on Marcus Mariota. If, if nothing else, you can say he's not a deep ball guy. Like he's not pushing it down the field. He's kind of game management to some degree. Like let's ride Derrick Henry. And yeah, he's got to be more consistent. Uh, but we've got to be more consistent in, in terms of trying to ride that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is tough because I agree with you. The Jaguars defense look like they quit. The numbers say so. And I do want to dig into that in a second. But yeah, so they're seven and six. They're the first team out of the wild card picture. Right ahead of them is the Ravens. Yep. The Ravens have the toughest strength of schedule in the AFC remaining. Sure. The Titans have the third easiest. They gotta catch the Ravens. The Ravens have to go to Kansas City. They also have to go Loss. to the Chargers. Loss. Okay. Yep. Uh and the Titans have a much easier road, especially because they are in that AFC South. Right. And then there's also maybe catching the Houston Texans if the Texans slip up. Yeah. The Texans are have a two-game lead in that division. They have to play the Colts. Yeah, that's a tricky is, one. This is not the Colts team that they played earlier in the season that started this winning streak. Correct. Yeah, I I do think at the end of the day, although the Texans-Indianapolis could be a dicey game for them, I think they wind up hanging on the Texans. Yeah. Um, but I do see uh, the Jaguars – I'm not the Jaguars, but the Titans, you know, catching Baltimore and, and ultimately getting into the playoffs. Right, yeah. And then in terms of the Jaguars, I know you want to talk about that, but I just, I, I just want to say like that is, that is ugly. And I've been on teams where, you know, you're three quarters of the way through the season or whatever it is. It's obvious that nothing's going to happen in the postseason. There's nothing worse than looking around the locker room pre-practice and you and I sitting there talking about like where we're going on vacation. Like, are we already booked? Uh, are the movers coming to get our stuff? Like when you've got those plans in place, and I've been on, I've been on teams where that's the case. Like I don't know, sixty games in, you got twenty two games left. Guys already have the mover scheduled. They've already got their tickets for Hawaii. Like there's nothing worse than that because you can't even fake being inspired at that point. It is a wrap, and that's what you're dealing with in in uh, in Jacksonville. Don't you think it's different in the NFL? Those guys don't have guaranteed contracts. Didn't look like it last night. Turnover. Did it look like it? I know, but I think those guys, it's a good point. It's hard to argue with what we saw last night. Um, the stats, as we said, say that they quit. They allowed Derrick Henry to have a franchise game as a running back for the Titans. The 99-yard run, the four stiff arms during that run. Yeah, he's Dude. a beast with the stiff arm, but it didn't look, it looked like a bunch of business decisions by those Jags defenders. They sacked Mariota one time for zero yards. They have banners 
in their stadium that say Saxonville. One sack for zero yards. It looked like they quit, and the numbers back it up. Yeah, I'm with you. Look, if your offense looks pedestrian or uninspired, fine. That's not your moniker. That's not what you hang your hat on. You're supposed to be this defensive juggernaut of a team. I've got three boys. There are times where they're 6, 10, and 11. They'll be playing football, running around the house, and the little guy goes over to the big one and tries to tackle him, and the big one just mushes him. Like, get out of here, right? Like, you're a peon. Like, you're not on my level yet. That's what, that's what was happening yesterday. They look like little boys. Like, that's so disrespectful on so many levels. 99 yards is one thing. But to, to do it, giving up four stiff arms, dude, grab him by his dreads, like, do something, pull that man to the ground. It looked like those guys already have their vacation plans. Even if it is in a football season where their money's not guaranteed, um, it was ugly. And when you have that taking place, can't just blame players. Like that's not a, it is a player thing, but it's an organizational thing. It's a locker room thing. It's a leadership thing. And it has to be addressed from that level. Who is their leader? Well, On defense, you know who their most vocal, visible yeah, player I mean, is? Yeah, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey. The dude who last night, when they're losing 30 to nine, he does stuff Derrick Henry, oh, to prevent his fifth touchdown. Right. <laughs> and after he stuffs him, he gets up and he celebrates and he flexes. It's yeah. like, dude, have some feeling for the moment. You're down 30 to 9. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, he flops. Did you did you see the flop? I saw the On flop. Barely? Excellent flop, though. Oh, oh, it was an excellent, excellent flop. But it was also very obvious in super slow-mo. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's your the most visible player. You say they need leadership. They have no leadership. Yeah, and I don't look clearly from a player's perspective. Uh, look, Jalen Ramsey's a young, a young emotional player, and I don't want to excuse that because I'm with you. If you're getting the break, the brakes beat off of you, yeah. And you make a tackle, dude. Get up and go back to the huddle. Like I, nobody wants to see you flexing. You're doing your job. Come on, that's act it. like you've been there. I'm talking about from a, a coaching, from a general managing standpoint, that type of leadership, organizational leadership, not on the field leadership. Inspiration um, at this point in a season when things aren't going well, has it has to come sometimes from the top. And that's how you would gauge a coach in the midst of a bad season. Maybe not by his X's and O's, maybe by his X's and O's, but whether or not that team is still playing hard, still playing to win, that says something about a coach. When your team has quit on you, that says something else about a coach. It does. Uh, and, you know, it does say something about that front office that they gave Blake Bortles $16.5 million guaranteed dollars in the offseason when I think everyone outside of Jacksonville could see that he's not the guy. I think everyone in Jacksonville, other than the, the dude sitting in that office, knew that he wasn't the guy and – you had opportunities. Look, there were a lot of guys you could have went after, right? You had Teddy Bridgewater out there. You had I mean, Case Keenum out there. Maybe. Like, there were guys. You could have drafted Lamar Jackson at 29. Like, yeah. there were things you could have done. Baltimore did it. Yeah, you got Blake Bortles, sit Lamar Jackson over there, and now you got a secession plan if you need to move on. Like, they, they just, they totally jacked that up. Yeah. So we'll see what they do in the offseason because their season is definitely over. Uh, the Titans will move ahead. We'll see if they can catch the Ravens in their yeah. wild card spot. All right. Uh, we're about a quarter of the way through the NBA season. And it's, you know, I always feel guilty for looking at the standings before this time of the year. Like, yeah. Like Don't, when, though. Don't. Yeah. Like when we're analyzing NBA on HQ or you're analyzing. Yeah. It's like I try not to reference the standings until we're about. And same thing with MVP talk. Sure. But uh, as the standings, I'm going to yeah. let you finish your point. Yeah. You know, you can, if you're, like, NBA teams will sneak 16, 17 wins early in the season. You bank those wins, it's hard to catch you at that point. So, like, people who don't pay attention early, you get a team that's hot early, like the Clippers, 
they can fall apart a little bit late and still get in because they banked all those early wins. Yeah. You know what I mean? The Clippers are a great point. Yeah. Uh, so are the Nuggets, although the Nuggets have a ton of talent. Uh, so same thing with MVP talk. Let's take a look at the latest MVP odds according yeah. to Vegas. And this is as of this morning, Giannis leads at plus 110. Then you got Steph at plus five. Uh, then you got LeBron at plus 550. AD is plus 600. Steph 800 and Kawhi Leonard 900. Raja Bell, who is your MVP at this point of the season? It was before the season. It remains at this point. Giannis Antetokounmpo, or however you say his name, is the MVP. Look, I get it. Kawhi's having a fantastic year, 25.6, 3 assists, 8.5 rebounds. Um, his team is leading the NBA, whatever their record is right now. But Giannis's team is second in the East. He doesn't have as much talent. The roster is not as deep. Um, and he is averaging 27.6, 6 assists, 13.2 rebounds, 1.5 steals. When I looked them up this morning, when I knew we were going to do this, you go to like the NBA leaders categorically, right? The only name that pops up on every single one of those pages in the top 20 is Giannis. He's in every category. You're talking field goal percentage, steals, rebounds, assists. There's no other guy that checks that box. So Giannis is the MVP. He could average 30 points a game without a three ball. It's incredible. I think he shoots like 14% from three. Bro, did you see him body Blake Griffin the other day? Yes. It was embarrassing. Blake is not a small dude. And Blake is still super athletic and fantastic. That's how big and strong. And having a really good year. Having a fantastic year. Yeah. That guy bodied him with one big shoulder. And I'm going to dunk on my tiptoes. He's the most dominant player. Or would you say that? Because most dominant, I think of Anthony Davis. I think of Joel Embiid. Where do you rank Giannis there in terms of sheer dominance? Um... Look, Le- LeBron is a is a is a is in a box all by himself. Like he's in a category by himself when he's got it clicking. Um Giannis is for me probably you know a step below AD cuz AD can do it just a little bit more from the perimeter. While Giannis is fantastic, like you don't get that that size um that ability to handle the ball. Um, he's built out his body like that. That rarely comes along, and he's a little nastier than AD, I think. But AD has a skill set where he can get away from the basket a if you old, needed yeah. to. And, and Jan, I think AD's been in the league seven years already. Yeah, Giannis just turned twenty-four. Years. Sure, like AD's cultivated that game. He's rounded it out a little bit, and I think you know if for Giannis to go down. Um, his trajectory is, is, is on a path with all of the greats. But for him to go down as one of the greats eventually, Giannis is going to have to figure out how to supplement all of that stuff he can do in the paint and off the bounce and in transition, uh, with some sort of, uh, floor game, some sort of jump shot. And that will alleviate, you know, the, 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 the stress it puts on his body. It will help open up different lanes for him. There are a lot of things that he will create if he can consistently trust his jump shot. Yeah, right now he's got Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe yeah. to help space the floor and open things up. Um, I think that LeBron James is going to win this award when it's all said and done. The reason is, it's first of all, it's an imperfect award. I mean, we it's such a subjective thing, and we de- we debate what does MVP really mean. Right. But when you look at the Lakers, uh, the last time they made the playoffs was 2012-2013. They've aver- averaged 25 wins, the Lakers. Yeah. Now they're on pace for over 50 wins. And he's got the narrative, right? LeBron James has the narrative of bringing the NBA's most glamorous franchise yeah. back to the playoffs. And who knows what seed they get, but it doesn't matter what they do in the playoffs once they get there. Right. Because this is a regular season award. And it's it's as much about narrative and dominance as, as anything else. I think about uh, James Harden. Right. He took several years to build that narrative, build that narrative. 
And then it was almost like his to lose before the season sure. even started. I feel like it's that way. With LeBron. It very well could be because LeBron gets snubbed every year. Even when James Harden has a year like he had, LeBron got snubbed. You could have very easily made a case for LeBron being the MVP again, right? So I do agree with and you in that regard. And then Danny talks about this all the time with the Heisman, like your Heisman moment. Like that's essentially what you're saying, right? Like um, Drew Brees this year with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like stats, stats, stats. But Drew Brees ha- has a narrative, right? Like he, this is a legacy potentially a- a- a award for him. So yeah, I wouldn't argue with you. You know who's sneakily climbing the charts for MVP again this year? Who's that? Russell Westbrook, dude. Yeah, seriously. Like came out. Look bad early, the knee injury. People were worried about what they would look like when he came back. Right. But they're second in the West right now. I just looked it up. Um, and he's averaging like 20 and change, 9.5 and 9.7. His numbers are always good. And, but, always. but now they're winning. Speaking of narrative, yeah. he just won last year. He ain't going to win again. Two That's years ago, bro. Oh, it was two years yes. ago. Yes. No, no, no. He, it's, we, it's in people's heads. And he's got Paul George, who's also balling out. I think of the night he had in Brooklyn oh, fantastic. two nights ago. And so I think that sort of takes away a little bit more yeah. from what... Guys, I need to jump in here. Somebody needs to defend Kawhi Leonard, and I need to be the one to do it. He played nine games last year, and the Raptors look like a completely different team with him on the floor. So great, I great. I think he's the favorite. Great. We'll give him comeback of the year player and everything solved. Yeah, well, but he's, he's, played, he's played on both ends of the floor. So he's playing great defense, he's playing great offense, and he's making the team better. And I think that should go into the award. Okay, I agree. And he's the camera and off Matt, now. Matthew don't, Coca. Don't respond to that. Don't worry, that's ridiculous. Hold on. He's the best player on the best team, which for a no. lot of people, that is what MVP is. He's the and best, ta- he's the best player on the best team with the most, the most, the most talent in the, in the East, like collectively. I'm not talking about three stars. I'm talking about their team goes 11 deep. Yeah. And so while Kawhi's great, and I don't mean that, look, Kawhi's been fantastic, but the supporting cast also plays a role in that, right? Like, it's why it's so hard for Steph and those guys to win MVPs because there's three monsters out there. So they start to cannibalize each other to some degree. No, no. Yeah, they do. No, yeah. Absolutely they do. You're not comparing. No, I'm not. Raptors roster. You got to hear what I'm saying. Roster. Not the top end of that roster, right? But he's got so much support. I think they have. So much support. Bench, but you're going to tell me Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry are. I'm going to tell you that elevated to the uh, level of really taking away from what Kyle Lowry's a perennial all-star every single year. And I'm telling you that the rest of that team in, in what there are only two conferences. Yeah. So it's it's in the East, but he's a perennial all-star. And while I agree with you that they are not the top end talent, right? So maybe it was a bad analogy. They're not Kevin Durant and they're not Clay Thompson and they're not Steph Curry. His collective group. If you ask anybody in the NBA, why that team is where they are right now. One of the first things they're going to say to you is they're a deep team. Like, they're deep. They play 10 or 11. You can ask anybody. Now, yeah, Kawhi, not not throwing any shade. He's in the conversation. Yeah. But they are where they are. It ain't just a Kawhi situation. It's it's that everyone on that team is the best version of themselves that people have seen in a while. Right. Yeah. Being in San Antonio for several years, I covered this team with Kawhi on it for yeah. a few years. And it always felt like Kawhi was one of the best players nobody really talked about. Yeah. It's because he's a quiet dude. He doesn't have the big deals, New Balance. Right. Uh, and people just sort of didn't give a whole lot of credit to players in San Antonio because people don't like watching San Antonio. Sure. And now he's gone to Toronto. I mean, that market, it's not like it's got a big spotlight on it either. Right. I think if Kawhi was in a more glamorous market, he would have more buzz, but I think he's as deserving as anyone for MVP. I give you that. I, I think he could, I don't think he ultimately wins it, but his numbers are, are fantastic. The team is winning. That's criteria there. A part of the problem with Kawhi also, like you say he went to a big market. I don't know. 
because he's so reserved. Like, so I don't know that he winds up being like this mega star, even if he's in New York, just because his personality doesn't really like lend itself to that. Yeah. All right. So speaking of Toronto, um, we heard Kyle Lowry come out and said that he felt betrayed, mm-hmm. that he does not get along with Masai Ujiri. It seems like he is not, uh, he is holding on to a grudge against his basketball, uh, president of basketball operations. Yeah. Then Masai comes out and responds yesterday. This is all on the jump, uh, on ESPN. Uh, he said, Jerry responded, Kyle Lowry is always mad at me. Well, we don't have a harmonious <laughs> relationship, but we've never had really a, co- a confrontation. And to recap what Lowry said, he said, he's the president of basketball operations and that's it. I mean, I do my job. He does his job. I felt betrayed because DeMar DeRozan felt betrayed. That's my guy. That's my best friend. Okay. Why say this if you're Kyle Lowry? Like, I feel like you're being petty. There's no reason to give an interview to a major media outlet and call out your president of basketball. Was the, was the interview, like, was the purpose of the interview just to get that out? Like, I need to, I need to know a little background. Like, was he, was this interview like, hey, Rachel, I want to sit down and tell you about my relationship with Masai? Yeah, it does. Like, if he calls an interview just to get that out, then that's a whole different level of petty. Say it wasn't. And he's sitting there and the question is asked. Yeah. I feel like you're supposed to do generic athlete speak. Yeah. And you're just supposed to deflect it. Um, not come right out and make it clear that you still have a grudge. So here, let me play my, let me put my athlete like shoes back on. What do you want athletes to do? Because in what, like, you're media, right? I'm media now. Of course. You give so many cliches that people don't want to interview you because, like, it's corny and you're never giving them any insight. And then somebody comes out and drops a bomb like that and people don't like that he said it. Like, what's wrong? He he gave you what was on his heart. Like, why shouldn't he be able to say that he doesn't have a relationship with Masai Ujiri? You don't, you don't cross pass with the general manager on a day-to-day other than to say what's up yeah like when i'm in the phoenix suns facility uh david griffin who was on the staff and brian colangelo they're in an office upstairs like they may poke their head in and sit and watch practice but i don't really have to deal with them on a day-to-day basis now i'm not kyle lowry but let's use steve nash for example like griff wasn't a part of his everyday like he doesn't really need to have this fantastic relationship with griff um should they have some kind of like uh, channel of communication if there's trades going down or we're looking at personnel? Sure, but the general relationship it can exist as purely like I play, I'm not arguing. And you that. do your job, but why put that on the media? Why not? That's my point. Why not? Okay, we know an icy relationship exists between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Okay. Correct? Yeah. Because of anything they've said, or because of back channel things that we've heard, they don't give the media anything. That only drives the stake further between them. We don't hear anything from Brady or Belichick. Correct. All they do is go to Super Bowls. Books are written about them. They are not helping write those books. Yeah. And you know more about it than I do. Wouldn't that divide a franchise, divide a locker room, make things harder? Look, I think you're already, that situation already exists there. I don't know that it, look, that guy traded away. I mean, he got rid of, uh, Dwayne Casey. I don't think most of the players in that locker room really love that. Dwayne had just come off of a coach of the year thing. Like Masai is going to do what Masai does. And I think you just had Kyle Lowry saying, you know, what's the relationship? And he's like, he does his job. I do mine. That's it. And I don't know that that exacerbates any like riff that's already there. I think their relationship is exactly what Kyle Lowry said. I don't think anyone has a problem with that. Yep. And I don't think that becomes a distraction for their team because everyone in there already knows that it, that it is what it is. You know? Yes. And, uh, you know, I agree with you. They don't need to have a harmonious relationship to do well. Masai Ujiri has already proven himself. He's the one in Denver who made the trade with the Knicks with Carmelo Anthony that stocked up the Nuggets. Sure. 
he's the one who brought in and really gambled on his own career, maybe. Sure. Trading a perennial all-star in DeMar DeRozan for a franchise changer in um in, in Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. Now, yeah. now, you know what's interesting about that? Because, like, he really, Kyle should be kind of thankful. I mean, even though he lost to Mark. No doubt. Yeah. But the relationships, right? Like, my relationship as a player. You know yeah. what relationships are more important than my relationship with the general manager on a day-to-day? My relationships with the equipment guys. Right? They're the ones that make sure that I have everything. I mean, these are the relationships that, that, that start to wear on you over a season because I'm interacting with you every day. My interaction with the training staff, yeah. the weightlifting, uh, like the strength and conditioning guy, like these are the interactions, um, that wind up being your day to day interaction. So my point is like, you just don't really have that much to do with the GM at the end of the day. All right. Let's talk about LeBron James because he says, I know, he didn't say, but the athletics says that yeah. he's interested in bringing Carmelo Anthony to the Lakers. <sighs> what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't, what do you want me to say about that? Like, why? I guess the question for LeBron would be, why do you, why do you, I know they're friends. Like, I got that. Like, if you just want to kick it with Carmelo, um, and you want Carmelo to get paid to kick it with you, that's fine. Like, okay, look, bring my boy in, let him get a job. But in terms of value to the Lakers, I don't know. LeBron, you're, he's a smart dude, man. Like, you know that there's no tread left on that tire, right? Like, we've seen that. It's played itself out over three seasons now. You're already dealing with the situation where you're trying to get young guys on the job experience, like, delegate at times responsibility to them so that they can learn how to do it. And, and you as LeBron have to have the ball to win. So it's already a delicate situation in terms of are there enough balls to go around, right? Because when LeBron does it all, which he needs to, You've got people saying, well, these young guys can't develop, right? Like their skill sets can't develop, which is a very real thing. So that balancing act is what Kobe alluded to a week or so ago in the conversation. You bring Carmelo, who has already showed you that he's not going to be happy not having the ball. And you bring him onto a team like the Lakers where his best friend is one of the damn, you know, the best player on the planet is there. He's going to want the ball. I think it just disrupts the apple cart. I don't, I don't, LeBron is a great player. Fantastic dude. Philanthropic as heck. Like does some great things. He's not a very good GM. Okay. What about and why do you say that? What, I mean, what, you've had experience in the Cavs front office because LeBron on the team, and you're saying that means a lot. Why are you saying? Well, that? I'm, I'm saying like LeBron, look, GM's jobs isn't always just to put the best product on the floor at that given moment. LeBron is good at that. Like he can tell you what pieces will work with him. Like he's great. He's shooter. got a beautiful mind for basketball. He knows. Mello's a shooter. He can identify who. No, Mel's not a shooter. Mello's a, Mello's a 30, Mello was a mid-range shooter at one point. He is a low volume, like a low, he's a high volume, low percentage, three-point shooter. And he doesn't really love to catch and shoot. So you put him with the Lakers and it doesn't work. And why I say LeBron's not a great GM is because your job's not only to win now. Your job is to protect the health of the franchise going forward. And part of that is the development of all of these young pieces, which you elected to come play with, yeah. because they could help ride you off into the sunset as you get older, but that only happens if they develop. And if you bring something in that can stagnate their development, you have hurt the franchise instead of helped it. And Carmelo represents hurting the growth and the development of all those young players in L.A. What if Brandon Ingram continues to be injured? He's one of the guys who likes to have the ball in his hand. Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. Let's say Ingram continues to have injury problems. Could you yeah. see a spot for Melo? No, like no, <laughs> there, there's no, no. Like no, Melo's not. Is, I totally agree with yeah. you. I'm trying to play like devil's <laughs> right. Advocate. There's no. I know the truth is the Lakers have the fifth fastest pace in the NBA. Melo, we all know, is like a half court player. Yeah, 
they they take more threes than the Golden State Warriors. Melo is a mid-range player. He doesn't fit at all. One of the things that was floated out there was, by the way, it would have to be a trade. Yes, I know. Please. Unless the Houston Rockets just said him. take him. Yeah. Um, and so they would have to get rid of a player like, uh, Michael Beasley. No, no. I mean, listen, and Bees, I, Bees isn't really producing. So like if you told me you were going to trade Mello for Bees and Mello wasn't going to play. Yeah. Like I would say it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, it's not a great move. It's not a great look like for, for you to cut Bees. <laughs> but, but, but in, in general, like if you have any ideas of Carmelo coming in and playing and contributing to that team in a winning effort, a team that's trying to win something in the Western yeah. Conference, it's a no, it's a no, it's no dice. And it's not going to happen. And by the way, the part of the athletic uh, report said LeBron has not actually officially made a request. Good. And he probably won't. Perfect. Uh, so Kyler Murray, the quarterback of Oklahoma, he yeah. is a Heisman Trophy finalist. He has OU back in the playoff and he signed a $4.66 million deal with the Oakland A's before this season. He chose to go to OU to fulfill his dream of being the starting quarterback at one of the biggest uh, uh, programs in the country. Yeah, and he said all along, of course, I my loyalty remains with the A's after the season until this past week when he told Tim Tebow, "I think that's something me and my family will talk about at the end of the season and weigh out the options of what the NFL thinks of me." Right now, my future's uh, kind of already planned out, but we'll see what happens. Uh, this is the first sort of crack in that future that we've seen. Yeah. What do you think he should do? It's a no-brainer. Play baseball, son. The money is large. The money is guaranteed. The potential health risks are not nearly the same. It's not like he's a big strapping dude. He's not like 6'4", 255, pure Five, pocket 10, passer. And likes to get out. And, and they, like he fits what the NFL teams want to do now, right? Because their style kind of – well, they do. They want this guy who can uh, play from the pocket but can get outside and make some plays a little bit more you know, athletic than the old-school prototypical pocket-passing quarterback. Um, but your frame – you're playing against giant, grown – Men trying to hurt people on every play. If you can make guaranteed money in baseball, you are a first round pick. I read that they have plans to move him up through the like the the minor league systems relatively quick. Yeah, they'll, um, they'll be leaking that info out right now when they. Well, yeah, true, obviously, but yeah, I'm baseball. It's no brainer, and it's not even close for me. I, I think he should do football all the way, especially if he's projected as a first round pick. Yeah. He just saw his predecessor, uh, Baker Mayfield, get 38 million guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Right now he has 4.66 from the A's. Yep. And what these minor league baseball players go through sucks. I mean, you have to live in the smallest towns in America, no offense, uh, for years <laughs> yeah. sometimes just to have a shot at the major leagues with, if you're a first round pick, you go into the NFL, and these teams cannot wait to get you on the field in prime time. And he's got more guaranteed dollars as a first-round pick in football as he would in baseball. Yeah, well, that makes – look, I'm usually with the money. Like, yeah, I'm pretty consistent about that. Um, I would have to leverage that situation with the A's into a guarantee that I would not be living in, like, podunk. Like, I no, I mean, look, hey, I hear you. Like, there are no promises, except when there have to be promises. And if I could leverage it, 
then I would play baseball. Now, if I'm not comparing apples to apples, like, and I've always said this, like I treated it like that with my career. Like if I'm not comparing apples to apples and you're going to throw 38 million at me versus 4 million. Now that's for the number one overall pick. But no, but yeah, no, no, but, but again, when you're testing the waters, right? Like you're testing the waters. Um, I don't, what's the, what's the 19th overall pick making the NFL draft? I mean, we'd have to figure that out, but generally speaking, um, if I knew that the A's, if you look, they, they, they swung at him in the first round, right? Yes. They have to have plans for him. Um, well, I was they don't have to, man. I covered a kid named Forrest Whitley. Yeah. Um, in, uh, San Antonio when I worked there. He was the first round pick of the Houston Astros. Five pitches this kid has all with command. He has been in the minor leagues for years now. See, baseball is a different animal. That's why I don't like baseball. So why don't talk baseball? And I mean, like a beast. Yeah. Prospect. Guys, thir- uh, two years ago, the 32nd pick in the draft got the same amount of money as Kyler Murray did as a signing bonus. So that's the 32nd pick in the NFL draft. So you're saying wow. the 32nd pick in the NFL draft got about almost five million bucks? Yes. Yeah. But okay. if you look at it, Jeff Samarja is about to make $127 million know, in his career, which is more money, which is more money than Cam Newton has ever made. Correct. But you're talking about a guy who broke through. You're talking about the exception, not the rule. That's why the NFL draft has seven rounds. MLB, I forget how many. It's like 20 rounds. It's somewhere around there. There are a lot more players to contend with in the minor leagues. You're talking about the guy who broke through in the majors. And when you're saying as a just a signing bonus in baseball, if you're a minor league baseball player, you live off just your signing bonus. And during the year, you make less than minimum wage, and you just live off that signing bonus. So that's all the money he's going to get in the minors. Look, dog, I'm with you now. Like You sold me. Let's go. Let's let's strap him up. We're going football. However, for the record. Don't do that to me, dog. I just flipped to your side. Don't, Ryan don't. Wilson, our draft expert, does not have him projected as a first-round pick. So there's always that. Well, I think the bigger always. news is: Have you ever even have we seen him play baseball before? Like he he's a great football player, but we have no idea what he looks like as a baseball player. If he's good enough to go in the top ten, then maybe well, that, there's, there's something about my him point. That. That's my point about Oakland. If Oakland is going to take a swing on him in the first round, yeah. then he has to be pretty electrifying on the baseball field. Like, yep. I read some quotes where they thought he could be like a star on the baseball field, and so I mean it is a tough decision. I'm saying. You're gonna pay me apples to apples. If I'm gonna get paid, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a star in either case scenario, and get paid. You would either. much rather do baseball. Than baseball.